Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. Psalm 13, a short letter of discontentment penned before resentment can settle in. A series of questions heaven-directed yet open-ended. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer me, Lord my God. These questions from the 500 BCs lead me to proceed with the same energy on the things my soul sees and grieves. These my queries, circa 2020 to 2023. Is he passive? Like an activist of actors gathered around fault lines that fractured, when holy beings cease to be seen showing empathy but actively diverting their energy from anything blue, black, and bloody. Sticky were my feelings of let down like silly putty, sliding off the wall, a gracious, then stumbling fall to the pit of he must not care, because if he knows what I see, then he's either not there or choosing to be unaware. Passive. Is he bothered that I'm broken because they choked him? Is he worried that my jokes are more cynical after watching repeat cinema? Gerrymander jogger meets perforated patriot. Salutes, paper thin and separate like the barracks my grandfather served in. Is he upset that sleep has left me? That Uncle Sandman sprayed bullets over baby girls so my homegirl's 26th hit different. A birthday in memoriam, our ability to feel in moratorium. Is he hiding? When, I, when my eyes lift from the weight of US of A only to see the same maternal cries, wondering if their child will survive the night on that boat ride through the rough tides of Aegean seas, seeking refuge, reflecting the King of Galilee only to be met with Greco-Orthodoxy to say cease. Why Paul walked that land if the plan was to have the next generation of man turn their backs on the letters he penned? How long are stowaways safe in God's hand? Is it time up for Yemen, the Central African, the people of Ukraine and the Rohingya Muslim? The weight of suffering seems overwhelming for them. The weight of suffering seems overwhelming, y'all, it's the weight. God, do you see? I know you saw Hagar and Tamar and showed up with a promise and punishment, a righteous judgment for violence, your voice absent of silence. But this night, in the darkness, your light seems the farthest. Would you come again? Y'all, have you ever felt groaning? You ever felt like the inward toil of brokenness, that gut feeling that twists your insides, that just leaves you bewildered? Facing something that just leaves you with more questions than you ever thought you could actually have. If so, you're in good company. Romans 8 reads, verse 18. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan. Inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let's pray. God, would you be with us this morning? Um, would you continue to settle our hearts and minds as we um, look what your word has to say for us today? God, I just ask um, that you would speak in me, through me, and with me, um, that you would transform all of us together, that we might look more like you. Amen. All right. So have you ever been on a trip and asked, are we there yet? You know, one of those trips where there's a thousand people in one car and it's been 7,000 miles and it's uh, going and going and going and going and going. Well, uh, the box office hit in 2005, the movie called Are We There Yet? Uh, starring the Ice Cube tells the story of, yeah, ooh, okay, Ice Cube fan, uh, tells the story of a guy who has a crush on a single mom but actually hates children. It's going to go great. Um, and he gets roped into having to actually drive them across country for the holidays. And on their adventure, like any good um, 2000s movie or any movie, everything that is not likely to happen in life actually happens in the movie. Um, the car blows up, you know, there's a kangaroo involved, there's like random funny things for kids. Um, but yet everything works out great, you know? It's like, oh my God, the car has exploded, but it's gonna be great. Um, but critics actually hated this movie. <laughs> like it got a 3.5 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes was like 12%. 12%, y'all, that means 88% or like, this is garbage. <laughs> that is a terrible ratio. I mean, there's a critic, I was reading the reviews and someone wrote, is it over? I was like, y'all like, are shady. <laughs> anyway, um, but real life, like, like the critic, have you ever just gotten up out of bed and been like, yo, is it over? Are we done? Are we done with this? Um, things are crazy in life. You have unmet expectations. Uh, you have pain. You have grief. And it's just forcing you to ask some hard questions like, yo, what's really up? Like, God, what's up? You know, if we're real, if you've been saved for more than, I don't know, 30 seconds, you might start asking that question fairly soon. Um, and I think it's because we need to know what, what is this that we're actually experiencing? Where are we living in time? Why is there a groan within us? Like, believers, we should have, like, when should we be, like, the happiest people in the world, you know? Because we have, like, the best story. The story of God, the story of him coming to rescue us. I mean, we were people made in the image of God who then rejected that God because we didn't believe that he was good enough. We believed that he was holding out on us. Then we became opposed to God, lovers of self, bound for his good and righteous judgment to only then be rescued from our sin, not because of anything we did, but because the God who rejected us loved us, like we sang this morning. Giving what was most precious to him up for people who didn't even want him so that we could be forgiven. Forgiven for our rebellion, forgiven for that self-love, for every bit of harm we have caused in the world. And now, not just beyond forgiven, we're made new. Like, great, we got a clean slate. Like, that's, if we stop there, we miss, on, we miss out on joy. We're made new. We have, the, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We're made daughters and sons in intimate relationship with this Father. 
And that means we share in his inheritance, the kingdom. Like we have a piece of the kingdom that is coming to us. We are going to enjoy the presence and blessing of a good God forever in the new heavens and new earth where there was no pain, no sickness, no death. Talk about hope, you know? Like we should have hope. Like we should be like, yo, woo, I don't know what that is, but y'all know what that feels like. <laughs> we have hope. And yet, we groan. This is because we need to understand um, the moment we are in. Where are we in God's cosmic story? Um, theologians call this time the now and the not yet. It's coined by Craig Bartholomew and Michael uh, Gowen. God has a four-act drama. You know, God likes to write stories. So if you think about this whole experience as a play, it has four acts. That would be a very long play. We're here, okay, very long. Have you ever been to the theater? No, nobody? All right, four acts is a long time. Um, all right, act one starts with the creation. God creates everything, man, woman, birds, trees, the freaky animals in the bottom of the ocean that no one actually wants to go to if you're terrified like I am. And he says, it was good. Act two, like Kevin, uh, Kevin, LOL, Cameron, I'm sorry. Cameron talked about last week, there was a fall on earth and in the heavenlies. There was a rebellion. We decided that, you know, it's up to us to give us what we think is best for us, even though we have no idea what that is. And we fall. Sin enters the world, breaks our relationship with God, breaks us, breaks creation. <laughs> We're breaking each other. We see that. And then act three, it's redemption. Christ breaks on the scene. Good news comes. God himself says they cannot save themselves, so I will do it myself. Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect lamb, comes as our representative and renewal starts. He dies, he raised, the spirit comes, ushered in, the church is set ablaze, we have a new message to talk about. Things have started to become new. In act four, it's the new creation, where renewal is complete, what God started, he finishes in the new heavens and the new earth. But we are in between act three and act four. Renewal has started, but has yet to be completed. So we're currently living under the inaugurated kingdom of Christ. He's already seated on the throne. He's already defeated his enemies, but yet the renewal is not complete. So now if the start of redemption, or act three, is made complete in the new creation, act four, we have to understand as believers what happened to us in act three. Yeah, let's go a little bit deeper into this. This is what most of Romans eight talks about. Um, the earlier verses are fantastic. I would suggest you go back and read it. I'm going to go over it. Go back and get it into your bones. Get it into your bones. Get it into your bones. It tells us of the rescue and the indwelling spirit of God in us. And it starts off with the iconic words, therefore, there is no condemnation. I mean, that joint is on t-shirts, on water bottles, everywhere. No one really uses the word condemnation anymore. We don't really know what it means, but uh, it's everywhere. There's no condemnation for those who are God's. There's no one, all of a sudden, the, the cycle we were bound to called uh, the cycle of sin, where we just continue to go into the things that we think are going to give us life, but give us death. That cycle is broken. Uh, it's referred to as the law of sin and death. We're set free because Jesus went before us, that our very selves are then broken into by the Spirit of God to make us new. 
When we were once lovers of self, all of a sudden, because of the spirit coming inside of us, we're empowered to choose life, to choose God, to choose wholeness. We're empowered to obey. If you go back, Romans 7 talks about how we're in the cycle of sin. You know, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. It's fantastic. Romans 8 begins to answer that question. How does that cycle stop? Jesus breaks the power of sin and death, the cycle of sin for us to only choose what we can only naturally choose, and then to be indwelled by the Spirit, to be set free, to actually choose God. So here we are, believers. We're alive in Christ. Act 3 is done. We're alive. There's a deposit of the Spirit inside of us, and we're under the rulership of good King Jesus. But we're still here, like physically here on earth, in our redeemed, yet to be restored, as my younger sister would call it, meat suits, that is your body. It's okay, she's 22. And I don't know about y'all about this here earth, but earth is ghetto. Earth is ghetto. I mean, I don't know how else to think about it, but if you just watch the news for five minutes, you're like, ghetto, got to go. It's time to leave. Our experience is like being overdressed at Walmart, you know? Like, we, you know, we've got, we're decked out with the Holy Ghost. Ah, the Holy Ghost lives inside of us, made new. Earth in Walmart. What is happening? Um, and like, <laughs> Walmart is notorious for like having people that are underdressed, you know, like back in the stone ages when Facebook was first created and cool, uh, there was this meme page called the people of Walmart. Okay. Yes, that's right. Late twenties. <laughs> people of Walmart. I thought about getting some pictures. Uh, most of them were inappropriate. So I left them there. <laughs> I mean, everything from bonnets and slides to cowboy boots and no clothes. I mean, that is what I feel like we are experiencing. Uh, um, you know, N.T. Wright has better words for it, so let's go with him. Um, as we experience tension between the glorious promise and the present reality, this tension is encapsulated in the fact that the Spirit is already at work within us, but has not completed the task of full renewal. He says, experiencing the tension. It's a way to put it. And I mean, if you're like me, you feel that thing. Like you feel that tension. You wake up and you feel that tension. Turn to one neighbor, just pick one and say, I feel that tension. Turn to your other neighbor with some soul this time and say, I feel that tension. Good job. So proud of you. I'm proud of you. I actually really enjoy how um, the message translates a bit of Romans 8, 22 through 24. It says, we're also feeling birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. So, believer, what do we do with the weight of the world? What do we do with the feeling of that tension while we wait, while we groan, while we're grieving? Point one is simple. We go to God with our grief. We go to God. Now, before I get into this section, I just want you to know that I am not a therapist. I am not a licensed professional counselor or MSW or all the other letters that are important behind that. I am not at all. So uh, just know I'm talking from a person who has had to practice this. Um, 
And you know, at United City, we were all about go sit on somebody's couch. Go, please, go sit on somebody's couch. Work out your stuff. It's a part of the renewal process. But just know, before I talk about bringing our grief and our feelings to God, I'm just coming from a person who um, is just practicing what that looks like. Two, know this, that feelings are not easy for me, all right? Uh, I have an allergy to them. I am allergic to feelings. Um, And so before you chalk this up to like, oh, it's a woman, she's talking, so of course it's about our feelings. Uh, I'm allergic to them uh, like many of you are. Um, So if anything, bringing it up is just a matter of its importance if it causes us to be uncomfortable or it doesn't come natural. So what does it mean to go to God with our grief? It's fairly simple. I mean, literally bring your groaning and your pain to your father. And it may seem um, unnatural because we have been taught in the West that feelings make you weak. They make you weak. Um, I know you guys experience this in your life, um, just kind of in the water where we grow up. You know, I'm not going to tell everybody's story, but, you know, you start crying, you know, they tell you, stop crying, especially a little boy. You get hit, you get busted upside the head, and they're like, stop crying. You're like, he is hurt. Why <laughs> can stop crying? Or like, for me, I grew up playing basketball. I was a very, you know, outgoing kid, and knowing if I'm going to go on this court with all these dudes, two things are going to happen. I got to get beat up first for them to, to trust me, or I got to cook them. I got to embarrass them for all their friends so they can trust me. But I can't if I get hurt. You bet not cry because you weren't supposed to be here in the first place. That's my little story. You know your stories of stop crying. Or you get a, some of y'all got a whooping and your mama says stop crying. Like you something to cry about even though you were already crying. Um, <laughs> they make you weak. They are not an asset to your life. Um, or that the only acceptable emotion is anger. The only one we're allowed to to show is anger. Um, But if you're angry at God, then you're in sin. It's really odd. Um, And this is foolishness uh, that our culture has told us, and it's kept us in bondage for years. Um, What actually happens is we start bottling up all those emotions, and we're deluded that somehow we're in control uh, when we've, like, stuffed everything down into a bottle. And what the reality is, it starts seeping out into every part of our life. Or it festers, depending on, you know, how you lean. Um, you could be, end up snapping at roommates, spouses, and kids over frustrations that have nothing to do with them. You're mad at Joe Blow from work, and you're just yelling at your kids about eating their carrots, you know, stuffing them down their throat. And this poor kid is just like, I love you. Why are you treating me like this? Or you're like me, and you start to numb or suppress what you feel, and you become people of addiction, people of addictive habits. Things get too hard for me, I will see you at Netflix for 12 hours. That's mine, I don't know what yours is, but it's real. And the reality is when we don't bring our grievings and our groanings to God, we will look less and less like the renewed people we are. It changes us. So today I want to encourage you to start bringing the realities of your already and not yet, or your now and your not yet to your father. And this will look differently for everybody because um, everybody's different. So again, just some simple practices to start, to start. Number one is really just bring God your questions like we read earlier in Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, 
Will you deliver me? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Like, what's up? This could be through conversation. It could be through writing it out, journaling. Um, and to be honest with the Lord, I think there's this idea that God can't handle our questions. He can't handle our pain. Or like, he doesn't already see it. Like, he doesn't already know everything. We have this idea that somehow we can like shut certain parts of our heart off to the Lord. Like, he can't see that. He's literally omnipotent. <laughs> you're losing that battle. You're, you're deluded. Just bring it to him and tell him. Second, some of y'all just need to cry. <laughs> like, you just need to cry. Psalms 18 says, I cried out before the Lord in my distress. But know that comes with a promise that he hears. He hears us. And before we're like, okay, crying, we already know. It's a little unnatural to talk about our feelings or whatever. But um, I had a friend of mine who uh, was hanging out with a family. Um, he was newly married. This family was married with kids. And he's just kind of like hanging out with them and look at the future. Um, and one of the kids, he's telling me the story. And I'm like, dude, you're, this is healing. Uh, he's hanging out at the family. And the kids, I think, are running around and playing. And someone like bumps their knee. Um, the kids like starts crying and starts like freaking out. Um, and something happened to where either he tried to self-soothe or he tried to like shut off the crying to prove that like he wasn't in pain. And his mom just comes to him and says, isn't it great that God gave us a way for pain to leave the body through tears? <laughs> I was like, profound. But I think we underestimate the intricacy of our created being. Like if God was intentional to have systems and ecosystems for the earth to just exist without anybody really doing more than they need to, like the sun comes up, the rain comes down, it repeats the cycle. Nobody made that happen but God. And how all of the water cycle leads into the ecosystem, like everything is so meticulously made. Why would we assume that he stopped when it became our being? That maybe God had another plan for our systems to work together to show that he was a safe place, to show that he was good and actually gave answers through our existence for healing. But some of you need to be seen crying. Yes, commune in the presence of God. Bring your grief. Let it out. Let his spirit meet you in that quiet place, in, that, in the shadow of his wings, in your prayer closet, in your, your quiet time, whatever language you use for being with God. But some of you need to be met with people in those places. Yes, the professionals, but also just people who love you and know God. And not bring the packaged version, but the vulnerable version of yourself in the moment, even if it terrifies you. I mean that ugly cry. And if you're like me, <laughs> this is maybe too much information, uh, something hurts your feelings, you bottle it up for two weeks, and then you go into the bathroom by yourself and you cry by yourself. Yeah? No? Okay, fine. Um, that's really, that is a choice. <laughs> but maybe God wants to meet us through people. So when we disrobe in front of people, they might actually see us for who we are and might speak a word of encouragement. It might speak a word of prayer that might invite the spirit that is there when two people are gathered for you to be seen and known and to be spoken into healing. So but maybe you're like not in a visceral place. Maybe like these are like great 
Benia, I'm already kind of practicing these. Thanks so much for the reminder. Fantastic. Um, but it's also just a really simple practice I wanted to put before you. Um, it comes from Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Theirs is S-A-A-G. I added a G for this. Um, it's really a simple journaling prompt, like once a week. We talk about practices and rhythms. If we're going to have a rhythm of bringing the honesty that is inside of us towards the Lord, here's a little tool. So S-A-A-G-G is simple. Sad, angry, anxious, grateful, and grieving. Um, if you come from homes where you were not allowed to, to share your true feelings um, because it was going to be dangerous for the response, because it was going, not going to be safe where no one would hear you or it'd be brushed under the rug or made, made to be um, unimportant, learning that your father actually just is a place for you to bring what's actually feel, like going on inside of you, learn to practice that like once a week. Sunday afternoon, or maybe it's your Tuesday after lunch. I don't know if you're like me, but if you're going to cry while you do it, maybe don't choose lunch because you got to go back to work. <laughs> but <laughs> take that moment to bring, you know, what makes me sad? Like, what am I like, actually sad about if I was just quiet for a moment and slowed down? What am I sad about? What am I angry about? You might find that what you're angry about is really what you're sad about. What am I anxious about? God, what am I just grateful about? And what am I grieving? And if sad and grieving seem like the same thing to you, maybe they do. In my mind, I think sad about um, something that like just bums me out that I didn't know that kind of hurt my feelings or came off in a way that was unexpected, where grieving feels like, what are the things I'm going to have to process through the loss of something? Um, it was helpful for me to think about it in two ways. Like sad, oh, my friend's leaving. That's sad. Grieving, it's Tuesday night, and we used to meet every Tuesday night, and now they're not here. And now I don't know what to do, and I'm grieving that. A little different. But I would be remiss to not acknowledge that there is a place in the groaning, in the grief journey, where pain is just too raw and too overwhelming, and you can't really start the practice. And that's okay. You might call that place trauma. Um, there's grace for you. There's so much grace for you in that. And God knew that. Romans 8, verse 26 to 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The reality is that the Spirit doesn't just renew us and enable us to obey, but he actually stands in the gap for us. When it's too much, he is interceding for us and lifting us up. When we have no words, the Spirit is praying. That blows my mind, that the Spirit is talking to the Father on my behalf about my groanings. He's an advocate in the pain who is willing and working on our behalf, whether we have the gumption to or not. And this is how we know a present God in suffering and trials Y'all, he promised that they would be here. It was just like a promise. Like, we want to be promised. We're promised the kingdom and trials and suffering. Like, and, like, there will be death in your life spiritually and maybe physically, you know? 
promised both. They, trials and suffering do some things to us. Um, they, of course, refine us. They make us more like Jesus. They bring us into the image of, of, of the Son. They, they make us more um, godly. But one thing it does, it, it takes what we thought we knew about God, what we mentally assented about God, it makes it a reality. Or like how my home church would say, trials and suffering and groaning and grieving takes what you thought you could understand about God, which was an idea, and gets it into your soul until you know that 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 he's good. Until you know that you know that you know that you know that you know he's kind and he's present. And there's more good news to be had here. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 reads, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Y'all, he empathizes with us. He doesn't sympathize from a distance like, oh, so sad. He empathizes. It means he can enter in. But how can Christ empathize with our pain? We think about it. How can he meet us in the groaning of this world, the sin, the shame, and the brokenness we endure? What would qualify Jesus to be able to empathize with us? Point two, it's because he wears our wounds. Jesus didn't just skip out on the pain of this earth. No other God, like no other deity out in the world wears wounds. What other God has scars? Historians say if you want to make um, a religious figure who's great, like if you want to like, you know, create a religion, um, you want to find someone who's worth following, so you make him a victor, a conqueror. But our Savior was victimized. Nonetheless, by the very ones he created. Where? On the cross. It's the most Baptist I'm about to get in my life. I think it's easy to move past the cross. It's bloody and gory and offends every sensibility on every level, at least here in the West. People who are acquainted with violence, the cross is a beautiful place. But it's actually at the cross where we um, can see a beautiful God the gentle and lowly come into our pain as Jesus the Redeemer. Church, in regards to your pain, it's literally all there. Even in regards to your specific brokenness, it's all there on the cross. You just got to look back. Take a second, think about it. What's your groaning? What are you particularly groaning about? Not necessarily complaining, but what is the pain, that internal struggle? Is it rejection? See a savior who in his hour of most need was deserted by everyone he healed, everyone he fed, everyone he restored, and by the friends he loved. Is it betrayal? See the one who loved a disciple knowing he would turn him over for the price of a slave. Maybe it's loss and unexpected death. See Jesus to have that same friend whom he loved commit suicide before his work on the cross could be done. 
Maybe it's physical abuse. See Jesus, gentle and lowly, who welcomed little children, have his beard torn from his face, beaten beyond recognition. And maybe for you, it's sexual assault. See Jesus, who stood in the gap for sex workers and women caught in adultery, making sure they were protected, be stripped naked. In a culture where we learn in the prodigal son was inappropriate for a man to lift his tunic and run to show his legs. Jesus intentionally stripped naked and lifted up. And it's in that, that place where he was pierced. Maybe it's harm against black lives. See Jesus, a Jew, living in an occupied state, oppressed by Roman rule, given an unfair trial, and unjustly killed. Someone said Jesus died in the blackest way possible. Maybe it's the state of the world where there's corrupt rulers abusing power, causing families to flee and seek refuge. We're literally living in a time like that right now. See Jesus being bundled up as a babe in the dead of night, rushed to Egypt as a refugee because Herod was literally killing children. Maybe it's the disparaging words your family, your ex, your friends spoke over you that ring true in your heart and your mind. See Jesus mocked and taunted lied on and humiliated. The list can go on and on and on. And this is why he's able to enter into our groanings, because he's qualified or acquainted. He's acquainted with it. Dr. Lane Cohey, um, he's author of this book called Disquieted Soul, which came into my life um, after life's second depression. <laughs> Um, he says, this is the paradox of pain. When we are willing to enter pain, we find peace in the one who went there first. We find a gateway into communion with the one who wears our wounds and heals our souls. Heals our souls is an odd turn of phrase, but we should hold on to it for a second. Jesus is not only able to enter into our grief, but he will redeem it. I know it feels good to know, like, all right, I have the presence of God with me as I'm crying and writing things down and bringing community into it and sitting on someone's couch. But what, 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 what out of all of this? Problem of evil and suffering, whole other talk. But the fact that he will redeem it, that it won't be wasted. I don't have any answers for you about how it's going to be, just know it will be. Romans 8 verse 11 reads, and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. It's not only a promise that God will work out your pain and the evil in our day in this world, which he will, but that the spirit that makes us new, the same spirit that regenerates us will in the final act, act four, resurrect us permanently into wholeness. It's from this place of assurance we can get to the rest of Romans 8. This future reality inaugurated now, we can finally get to the last part of Romans and say, who? Who gonna separate me? 
Who? Who's going to keep me from the love of God? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So believer, see him. See him. Like lean into him. Be encouraged in him because you actually have nothing to fear. You have an advocate in the groaning and you have a promised resurrection. You have a promised resurrection. So approach that throne of grace with boldness. He's like ready to receive you. Bring your groaning. Bring all of it. It is not for nothing. It won't be wasted. And it's a chance for you to know God. Not an idea about God, but know him. God's with us all the time. Let him meet you and you know that he's with you at all times. And for those who don't believe yet, like you don't really know what you believe. You just kind of come around. It's fantastic. Glad you're here. Um, know that the very thing that keeps the believer, that seeing Jesus as beautiful, is everything that will invite you into his love. Seeing Jesus as beautiful will change a Easter and Christmas attendee to someone radically changed by a God who gave everything for them and didn't skip out on the pain, didn't skip out on the suffering, but chose it because he loved you. Chose it because he wants you. Chose it because there is something better than a life caught in a cycle of brokenness. There is healing. There is wholeness. There is redemption. There is a God waiting for you to hear him call your name. For y'all to be known beyond all knowing that no friend, no sister, no brother can give you. A God who is waiting for you. So see him broken. See him beaten. See him torn. See him humiliated and shamed. Just like you in all your pain. But for you. So you could be whole. For you. So you could be healed. For you. So you could be forgiven. And given new life. Regardless of what your story says. So take a peek. Look back at him. And I promise you'll see that he's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for um, being good. Being better than we could imagine or hope. Being our all in all. Being a God who sees our pain and our frustration. And brings himself into it. 
Father, would you meet us throughout the week, throughout the years, however long this journey may take, would you meet us and meet us again when we run away, when we surrender, when we choose things that won't actually bring us wholeness again, and your grace so kindly brings us back to your cross. God, I pray that we would know that you are worth it. Worth the total surrender of all of our trinkles, trinkets, of all of our trifles, of the weight of our lives and our pain. God, but we know that you are beautiful and kind. And that we'll be people who say yes and yes again to the one who did everything necessary for our salvation and the one who invites us into a life worth living. God, we thank you and we praise you. Amen.